am very thrilled and honored to welcome here to our church the founder of the Methodist movement, Reverend John Wesley. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I had to look and see where my Bible got placed. Here it is over here. Tis a pleasure to be among the people called Methodist this day as we come to worship our Lord, to give thanks to God for his grace and mercy, to be sustained by his hope, and to remember the assurance, the steady assurance of God's love. For lo, many years, all the years I've been preaching, I would always begin with the prayer of St. Richard of Chichester. Try to say that one quickly five times, Chichester. He shared this great prayer, and with it I begin. Would you pray with me, dear brothers and sisters? Teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything, to do it as for thee. For thee, O Lord, for thee. Amen. Well, I am known as one of the founders of Methodism, along with my brother Charles and Thomas Ingham and others who shared that early Methodist faith that began in a small prayer group on the campus of Oxford University. I had been away some years from Oxford, and then I had returned. I'd been away to care for my father, who was an Anglican priest, my grandfathers were both Anglican priests, and I speak to the men in the room to say, you can understand the last thing in the world that I wanted to become was an Anglican priest. But it was so, in God's time and in God's way, God called me just to that uh, experience of life and faith and proclamation. And as God became very real in my life, I knew that I must, as my father and grandfathers before me had done, take up the mantle of the Holy Gospel. I want to share with you this morning a reading of Holy Scripture, what has been called the most sublime of the New Testament books, perhaps, Paul's little letter to the church at Philippi. And in the first uh, chapter, of the book of Philippians, the apostle writes these words. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will also bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Tis right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel 
For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Thanks be to God for the reading of this God's holy word. Tis a privilege to be able to share the gospel with you this morning, dear sisters and brothers. I, I'm so glad to have come to this place to be here and to share with you God's hope for your life. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you learned Latin and Greek from your mother or father? Mr. Wesley can say so. Now I must remind you, this is in an era, I was born in the year of our Lord, 1703, in the little village of Epworth in the region of Lincolnshire, in the northwest region of London, from London, 120 kilometers from London to my home. It was a small rural village called Epworth. Some of you may even know that there are Methodist churches today called Epworth Church, I've been told. They've embraced that little town from which I come. And this mother of mine, who was so remarkable, was uh, from remarkable parentage. Her father, Samuel Annesley, was the pastor of the largest church in London. Long before I was born, however, he was kicked out from that church because he was preaching what the Anglicans in that time and era believed was a false gospel. And the false gospel that my grandfather was preaching was that you have to give your heart to Christ. That was a radical idea for them. My grandfather, this great, as I've been told, a great preacher, after he was expelled from that church, was not allowed to preach anywhere for the rest of his life. And I believe in some ways God took that evil that they meant for evil, as the Holy Scripture said, and meant it for good because he poured, he and his wife poured so much into their children. And one of those was my mother, Susanna Wesley. Susanna Annesley Wesley. Mother was an amazing, amazing woman. Seven daughters, three sons. I was the, actually the 15th out of 19 births. Ten of us lived to adulthood. I was among the younger ones. Mother was a remarkable saint in her own way. She spent time each week with each of her children teaching us to read the Holy Scriptures in that native Greek. And in an era when women were not allowed and did not go to school, my mother made sure that all seven of my sisters could read. 
and could learn she was a radical, remarkable woman in her devotion and in her passion. I call her an inveterate learner. And she spent her life doing that. One particular era, well, I won't tell you the whole story, but I, uh, it's before my time. Uh, my mother and my father were having a conflict. Well, that's really an understatement. It was so much so that uh, she, um, she encouraged my father to quit praying every Sunday for the king. <coughs> Excuse me. But every Sunday, my father would pray, and God save and bless the king, and God save and bless the king. And one Sunday, after he would say that each Sunday, the people are to say amen. Because you see, in our country, the king is the head of the church. You know all of that from Henry VIII. You can go back and trace all that history. You'll know it. Well, and so what happened was, my mother and father were having somewhat of a tiff, and he noticed that every Sunday when he would say, and God bless the king and preserve the king, and the congregation would say amen, but Suki, that's what he called my mother, short for Susanna, Suki would not say amen. He came home one Sunday from church, said, uh, Suki, I realize you did not pray that prayer, <clears throat> and because of that, I am leaving. He left our home. We knew not where he went, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but for 18 months, during that time of his being away, mother assumed the title of serving as the pastor of the church. And she loved the people, and she served the people, and she preached the word. And so much so that when my father returned, of course, all of we children were ecstatic and rejoicing, and the congregation wept because it meant that mother would no longer be the pastor. She was so dear and loved. And even then I had an understanding maybe that the church had it all wrong about women being in leadership, but I'm getting ahead of myself on that. So some time passed. I had the privilege of uh, loving and living a great life. Oh, I didn't tell you the rest of the story, did I? So when father returned home, it was said that I was born nine months after that experience, after their reunion, their renewal. So I grew up in this uh, mostly wonderful home of devout parents, both of whom were so passionate for the Lord and the gospel, and my brothers and sisters and I all learned greatly about the Holy Scriptures especially, so much so that I have said about we Methodists that we should be homo unius libri, people of only one book. Oh, give me that book, that holy scripture I have said, and I shall need no other. Tis a privilege then to proclaim God's word of hope to you, God's people. This morning is the beginning of a series of sermons that good Reverend will, Joe will preach. 
around this whole concept of being an altogether Christian. Maybe in your context, it might be better to say all in. A person who is all in. You know that when someone is all in, they are committed. They are determined. They are developing their own spiritual muscles to live totally and exclusively for God. That's what it means to be an altogether Christian. Someone who loves God with God's with God's love so filling their life that they love God with their whole heart. Their whole heart. You see, to be all in for God is to love God beyond and above all else. Above and beyond how we love our spouse or how we love our children or even our grandchildren for those of us who are grandparents. Know the great love what we have for our grandchildren. But it is said that we are to love God even more. God who is the beginning of it all. God who is the creator of love. God who not only created you, but said, I love you. And I will love you all of your life. I will never stop loving you. It does not matter who you are or what you do. God loves you. Amen? Amen? Now, Mr. Wesley's custom is to preach for two hours. I kid you not. Am I not right, Reverend? Tis so. Your response will determine how long I preach. Amen? Amen. I thought I understood the people here. God's love is to be so great in our hearts that we have no other desire other than to love and serve God. Now some people say, but, but if I do that, is that not a denial of, of those who are significant in my life? To which I say, no, it is not. Because to perfectly love God means that we learn to perfectly love others. As we love others, we learn to love God. You see, isn't it wonderful how God created us? God who had this vision, God who understands all, God who made these amazing bodies that in which we live. All other animals live a few years, but we, God in the way he created us, I'm now an old man, and God is still blessing my life. God is still watching over me. Now I watch my weight. And I, all these years, Reverend, I've eaten the same amount. I've lived on the same amount of money. So you and your family learn to live on the modest means that the church provides. And what I have learned is that one cannot outgive God's goodness. That God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he has loved us, beckons us to love him even more. What a good God we have. What an amazing God. Now we Methodists are not only known for being homo unius libri, which means a people of one book, but we also have understood that our mission as a church, we have two foci as Methodist people, to reform the nation and to spread scriptural holiness. To reform the nation. 
It has been said, I've lived long enough and I've been apart long enough, it has been said that England did not have the same kind of revolution that our French friends had, precisely because the Methodist people learned to love. Learned to love. Are you aware that the very first credit union was started by Methodist people? Are you aware that the very first hospital chaplains, prison chaplains, were Methodist people? Are you aware that we, even early in our life together, as the people called Methodists, were those who would care for the broken and the hurting, the hungry and the lonely? That is what we are to be about, to share God's love in the world in such a way that others, when they see us, will not see us, but we will be like a mirror reflecting God's love. Oh, what a great thing it would be said if someone would say of us, she mirrors God's love. He is like a reflection of God's goodness. Oh, that is the goal toward which we must pursue. That is the goal of living totally, completely, and unashamedly for God. To love God in a word, to love God with our whole heart. With our whole heart. Heart. You know, the heart is the sum of all things. The heart is the center of us. To love God with our whole part is then to say, God, I surrender who I am, my pride. I even give you my abilities, my talents, and use them, O oh God, for your goodness, for your work or your aim in this life. I have often said I have no other purpose than to love and serve God. We humans, we believers in the Lord Jesus know that he gave himself completely for us. He died for our sins and he lives so that we can live. That is the hope of your life, dear friends. Christ is our hope. Were you aware that the very in the early church, in the time of Rome, in that first century, the Christians were so persecuted, they went and hid and met and prayed and worshipped in caves. And you may know that those early Christians, all over these caves where they worshipped, they found little anchors. You know, like an anchor that would hold a ship. And they came to make those symbols because they understood that what holds a, what holds a ship in a storm? Of course, the anchor. And that Christ is our anchor. And so the anchor often became a symbol and a cross was inserted in the middle of that. Anchor. 
to remind us that Christ is our hope. Christ is our hope. Were you aware, dear friends, you may live a few days without water. You may live a few more days without food. But it has often been said and understood that we humans cannot live one day without hope. Hope is that without which you cannot live. And Christ is our hope. Christ is our help. Christ is our aim. So to love God with your whole heart. To love God perfectly, just as we want to love these dear little ones that are joining us now. To love God with our whole heart should be the aim of us. What is the aim of your life, dear sister, dear brother? Is it to make more money? To live in a larger home? To acquire more resources? Or to acquire more possessions? As for me, I've learned to live. I only have one spoon with which I live. For all these years, I've lived on the same amount. And I am not a poor man. Your reverend could tell you the story, but I am among the richest people in England, not because of God's grace. I mean, yes, because of God's grace, but also because I wrote an enormously popular book. Now, a Methodist preacher is not proud to say that there are more British homes that have a copy of my book in them than have a copy of the Holy Scriptures. But it is so. I wrote a little compendium of what you might call home remedies, a little book called The Primitive Physic, and it has sold hundreds of thousands of copies. In fact, our very first church in Bristol, England, a seaport city on the northeast coast of England, Bristol, and the church there was built with the money from the sale of that book. God who is so rich in mercy. God who calls us to love. Does not ask us to do anything that God self would not do. God who loves you no matter what you're going through. God who understands when no one else does even save yourself. God whose grace his unmerited, undeserved favor, this love God offers to you this day and every day. But to be an altogether Christian is to say, Lord, I want to love you in the same way that you love me. I want to love you with my whole heart, my whole being, my thoughts, my mind, my heart, my hands, my feet, 
my talents, my possessions, my weaknesses and my strengths. God, I give them all to you, asking that you would do with me as you will. My life has been filled with all kinds of things. God has often taught me, and my own, in fact, my own conversion experience. I wrote in my journal on the 24th day of May in the year of our Lord, 1738, after I had come back from your country, a dismal failure. I had come to this country to be a, a pastor to the people, to the Indian, American Indian people. But I'd written in my journal before I came, Lord, I've come, I'm going there to be a pastor to the Indians, but who will save one John Wesley? I had not the assurance of faith at that moment. It was only through a period and process of heartache and disappointments Returning to my native England, a dismal failure with charges pending against me in your country, in Savannah and Georgia and, and in St. Simon's Island. And so, this is only my second journey to your country. It was not easy for me to return, having been such a failure. But I sensed that this was God's call upon my life. I didn't want to come. I came very unwillingly, just like I wrote on the day of my conversion. I went very unwillingly to a gathering on Aldersgate Street. I didn't want to go. Mum came to me one day, this great mother that I've already told you about, and she had heard of an incredible woman preacher. She came to me and said, John, I want you to go with me to hear a woman preach tonight. And I said, Mother, no self-respecting Anglican would go and hear a woman preach. She said, John, put on your coat. We are going. I went unwillingly. Only to discover God's blessing in my life. Only to discover but who am I to say whom God is calling to proclaim his word? And that woman had a marvelous ministry. And she continued. I learned later she had been a student in Bible study of one of my closest friends, Thomas Ingham, who was a part of the Methodist Holy Club. I wish I had time to tell you that story today, but I do not. But suffice it to say, God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he has loved us, pours out his mercy. So, dear friends, I want to say this to you. I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you. And so, one of the bywords of we Methodists has been this, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, at all the times you can, in all the places you can, for all the people you can, as long as ever you can. You see, an all-in and all-together Christian 
thinks about, what can I do this day for my Lord? What can I do for that widow next door? What can I do for that family down the street whose lost, lonesome love has been broken? What can I do for the family whose father suddenly died and left alone children and wife? What can I do for those who are broken and hurting in body, mind, or spirit? How can I love them as Christ loves them? That is our goal. But we do it not alone. My father, before he died, had practiced what his last words would be. And I have often thought of that as now I am going into the winter of my life, into the last season of my opportunities to live for God, I too, like my father before me, have thought about what would I want my last words to be? I mean, if, if I could determine if I am in my right mind, if I am still able to speak, what would I want my last words be on this earth? After great prayer and reflection, I determined that God willing, these will be my last words. The best of all is, God is with us. The best of all is, God is with us. In our joy, in our sorrow, in our pain, in our despair, in our hope, in our laughter, in our tears. The best of all is, God is with you. God is with you. Not just someone else, but God is with you. So in those moments when the tears flow and the heart is broken and tomorrow seems despairing and filled with anything but hope, remember that God loves you and that God will never leave you because it is true, the best of all is, God is with us. Would you pray with me? Almighty and ever-living God, your love, your grace, your mercy shower our lives. Sustain these, your dear people, eternal God, with your grace and mercy. And may the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus give them hope this day and every day. And all of God's people shall together say, Amen.